This is Christ, Culture, and Coffee, a podcast designed to help equip Christians to be able to defend their faith and be confident in their faith. Hey guys, welcome to Christ, Culture, and Coffee. I am your host, Robbie Lashua, and I'm here with my co-host, Tyler Hurley. Hey, what's up? How you doing? Good, man. You doing well? Doing pretty good. Good. Ready yeah. for another week? I'm ready for this show, and I am excited that we have our special guest with us. Holly Pivik is here. She has... I mean, a prolific, I'm going to say prolific blog uh, that she's been writing (laughs) on for years about a certain issue that we're going to be talking about today. Her blog is spiritofair.org. You need to check it out. But she uh, was a former managing editor at my alma mater, Biola University. She uh, has contributed to writing for a whole bunch of different things. But two of her books are phenomenal, and I highly suggest you go get them. There's links in the show notes to them. The first First one's called The New Apostolic Reformation, A Biblical Response to a Worldwide Movement, and she co-wrote that with Doug Guyvitt. They also co-wrote a book called God's Super Apostles, Encountering the Worldwide Prophets and Apostles Movement. So Holly, we are so thankful that you've joined us today on Christ, Culture, and Coffee. Yes. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Thanks, guys. I'm so, so thankful that you invited me to come talk about this important topic. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so we start every show off with the less, the least important aspect of our show is right. coffee. Now, it's very important <laughs> in our life, but of the things we talk about, it's the least important. Yes, that's yep. absolutely true. So, Holly, the question is, first off, do you like coffee? Yes, it's also very important in my life. I love Amen. it. Okay, that's great. Actually, I, I met my husband at a Starbucks. Oh, wow. That's so, great. Uh, and we were both drinking coffee and doing our morning Bible reading. Oh, that, good. That oh, that's time. cool. Wow. So it's very important. Wow. So, and I get, I get withdrawals if I don't you know, have the right, right amount every day. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. So, so a follow-up question then to that, just to ask you, um, do you prefer drive-through type coffee? Like if you had the choice between mm-hmm. either a drive-through only coffee shop or a sit-down coffee shop, which would you pick? Hmm. I would probably say because I'm more of an introvert, a drive-through okay. coffee. And we have we have a lot of those here where I live in uh, Fairbanks, Alaska. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure right, at certain yeah. times of the year, it's kind of necessary yeah. to have drive-through oh, yeah, coffee. Right. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, wow, so that's we're in Phoenix. We know nothing about that life that you're living up there in the cold. <laughs> like, that is so foreign to us. But it looks beautiful, honestly. I'd love to visit Alaska someday. It looks awesome up there. Yeah, that's really cool. Well, hey, let's get into talking about your expertise here on the New Apostolic Reformation. So, Holly, first off, um, some of our listeners might not be in tune with the conversation or even know what it is. So let's start off with talking about what is the NAR? What is the New Apostolic Reformation? Yeah, so a lot of people don't know what this movement is by name, but often when they hear it described, they hear the names of the leaders or the teachings, they'll start to put it together and they'll go, aha, I do know of this movement, or or maybe even they will realize they themselves have been caught up in the teachings and practices of this movement. Mm. And so what it is, is it's a fast-growing movement of churches that claim that they are restoring apostles and prophets Mm. to the church. And these apostles and prophets uh, have extraordinary authority. They bring new revelation that they would say all Christians must receive, so those Christians can learn to develop miraculous powers— and they're trying to raise up this like miracle-working army that can do greater miracles than even Jesus did. And through that, the effort is to bring God's kingdom to earth. And so this movement, you know, when people hear the teachings, they'll say, wow, that sounds really crazy. Or there are really that many people who are part of this. But people are really surprised to learn that there are millions of people in the United States that attend churches that have overtly embraced these teachings. They're actually governed by apostles and prophets. That's according to statistics from the Center for the Study of Global Christianity at Gordon-Conwell. Over wow. three and a half, About wow. three and a half million people attend those churches. In addition, many, many more are attending churches where these teachings are coming in in varying degrees. Pentecostal churches, charismatic churches, a lot of non-denominational churches. Um, and through Bethel Music... Um, which is very popular, as you know. Um, mm-hmm. Bethel Church in Redding, California is the most influential church in this movement. Through Bethel Music, the teachings are actually coming in to a lot of churches that might surprise people, Baptist churches, more traditional um, churches. 
So it's a huge movement. It's in every city, every state, even small towns, uh, large cities. And once you learn to start recognizing the teachings and the practices and learning the lingo, the buzzwords, then you start seeing it all around you. Mm, Okay. Well, that's crazy. Uh, So tell us uh, real quick, uh, what are just some of the teachings that go on in this movement? Right. So, of course, the core teaching is the defining teaching is that – God always intended for apostles and prophets to govern the church and um, and through all generations in each generation. And that because they've been missing, you know, historically, now we have elders, pastors governing most Protestant churches. Mm-hmm. They've been missing. And so what they would say is because of that, Christians have not had the revelation that God hasn't been able to give them the revelation that they need, the strategies they need to develop miraculous powers to bring God's kingdom to earth. So no apostles and prophets, no revelation. The pastors teach the Bible, like the old revelation, uh, but they're not teaching also the new revelation. uh, And that's what's been missing, and that's what needs to be restored. So that's the key teaching. But along with that go a lot of teachings. It's the idea that all Christians can learn to work miracles, Mm. uh, that we all have supernatural powers within us, like the ability to prophesy or raise the dead or heal the sick. But we just need to, these are like latent gifts that we need to activate within ourselves. And so they have a lot of practices they do to help you activate your miraculous, your supernatural powers. Uh, Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry in Redding, California. A couple thousand students go there each year. They have over 10,000 graduates um, come for training to learn to be miracle workers. And, mm. and churches are starting supernatural schools of ministry throughout the nation, throughout the world, patterned after Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry to train up miracle workers like this. Oh, wow. So that's another um, key teaching. And there's a lot of teachings and practices that that go together with all of that. So right. where where are they getting this from? Like, why, why is this... Um, why is this idea coming about right now? Like, did they point to scripture mm-hmm. and say, hey, this is what the Old Testament says would happen, and here we are? Right. Or is this just a power grab? What, what, what is bringing this about? Well, first of all, there was a movement called the Latter Rain Movement post-World War II. It was brief, but they were seeking to restore apostles and prophets to the church through, like, independent charismatic churches. It was quickly shut down. The Assemblies of God, a Pentecostal denomination, said this is bad teaching, it got shut down, but then it started resurfacing in the 1980s, the 1990s. Uh, Independent charismatic churches started embracing the idea that apostles and prophets needed to govern churches Mm. through uh, C. Peter Wagner was very influential in all of that, um, bringing those teachings back. And um, since then, a whole movement has built up, and um, they would say that the key verse they point to is Ephesians 4, 11, or the passage is Ephesians 4, 11 through 13, mm-hmm. and this is, uh, I'll just read it here. Um, this is from the ESV, but it says, and he, meaning Christ, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So what they would say is that that verse teaches that God has given five governing offices, apostle, prophet, pastor, evangelist, teacher, and that they were intended to be governing offices in each generation. And because they would say, well, obviously the church hasn't reached maturity yet, and we haven't reached the stature of Christ, so we obviously still need these apostles and prophets. But we're, it's like a hand. We're missing the apostles and prophets. We have the other three offices, mm. but we've been missing the two that have the new revelation. And so those need restoring. And okay. so that's the main verse they would point to. So with that, because again, I've, 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 I've translated mm-hmm. Ephesians from Greek when I was in uh, seminary, right? So there's mm-hmm. people who take that passage not to mean offices or positions Mm -hmm. but to mean giftings right and that's the thing it would go way too far to take that verse and to read into it formal governing hierarchical offices it's it's making a passage do something that it's not doing you know it it could very easily be ministry gifts um and so and that's one reason like pentecostals classic pentecostals like assemblies of god denomination is the largest Pentecostal denomination, mm-hmm. 
they actually would say that there aren't offices of apostle and prophet today, that there are ministry gifts. There mm-hmm. are apostles in the sense of missionaries and church planners. There are prophets in the sense of people who may have a, a miraculous gift of prophecy, but they're not formal governing offices. And so for that reason, even many Pentecostals and charismatics are concerned about these teachings, even though those are the churches where they're making the greatest inroads. Oh, yeah. Interesting. So why um, why, why do we think that this is kind of a, a bad idea, I guess? Like, yeah, I mean, right. Other than, other than it's not scriptural and they're really stretching verses to mean mm-hmm. what they don't mean. But what what is coming with this? Like what are these guys trying to do that we as evangelical Christians would say, ah, that's a little dangerous, that's a little sketchy for us? Right. Well, so the claim that they are apostles and prophets with that claim is a claim that they have extraordinary authority. Mm-hmm. Um, so an apostle, for example, a pastor just governs one church, but an apostle will claim sometimes to have authority over thousands of churches, oh. like the apostle Cheon in Pasadena. He's over an apostolic network of, I think it's like 50,000 churches and ministries worldwide. And so they claim really extraordinary authority. Also, their authority isn't just broad, but it goes deep because the apostles and prophets in this movement would claim they have the authority to give um, prophetic words to people, to guide their major life decisions, um, where to live, who to marry, you know, these kind of things. And people need to obey those words. So they're claiming a real extraordinary authority over churches, over lives. On top of that, they're claiming to give new revelations to supplement scripture. And um, they would say that they would say these new that scripture comes first. But the truth is, the way they treat these revelations is on a par with scripture, because they would say, if you don't receive their new revelations, you're outside of God's will and you're going to miss out on being part of this miracle or working army that will bring God's kingdom to earth. So you just kind of are on the sidelines or B class Christian, you know. And so with that, the real dangers uh, in our book, we talk about the four D's. And one D is uh, dependency. I am looking at my notes here. Um, so they would say that to develop intimacy with God, to fulfill your your destiny, to develop miraculous powers, to receive healing, you know, if you're sick or something, to defeat demonic strongholds in your life, all these things, you need apostles and prophets. Mm. So people become very dependent on them. That's the first D. The second D is disillusionment. A lot of people, when promises don't pan out from the apostles and prophets like if if someone isn't healed um if a dead person isn't raised um like the recent olives the little girl olive that bethel church was trying to raise from the dead in december Mm -hmm. and all the media publicity about that and she wasn't raised then what happens you know do people lose their faith um so dependency disillusionment division churches i i hear all the time from church leaders who are saying their church was split by these teachings. Uh, people who will tell me uh, apostles came in or the teachings and people had to choose. Do they receive these teachings? Do they reject these teachings? And really in this movement, it is the apostles way or the highway um, because you are not obeying God if if you reject the words of an apostle or prophet. So tons of church splits, family splits, uh, children who won't talk to their parents anymore, you know, because they think their parents aren't getting, um, aren't following these apostles and prophets are really missing out on the real Christianity. Um, distraction is another D. A lot of people are getting caught up in uh, thinking they need to activate miraculous powers in themselves. They need to cast out um, these high-ranking demons, they think, that, that control cities and nations and things like that. And so they get distracted with these practices, and, and they're not focusing on the biblical practices for spiritual growth, like reading their Bible, praying, serving other people, you know, being in Christian community. And and so what happens is people become very stunted spiritually in their walks with God um, and don't grow. And then, and it's also a distraction from the gospel too, because really the gospel is being redefined as bringing God's kingdom or bringing heaven to earth. Mm-hmm. And so, um, or that's the great commission and so the gospel is being compromised in this. The gospel message of, you know, salvation from sin is, is kind of being sidelined. 
And then the last thing, really, there's one more D, so it's five Ds, I would say, is demonic influence. Uh, hmm. A lot of the teachings they're bringing into the church to activate miraculous powers in themselves actually look a lot more like New Age and occult practices. Oh, man. And we can talk about some examples of that, but um, because yeah. of that, I think they may be inadvertently opening doors to demonic influence in people's hmm. lives. That's so scary. That's so, so, like, scary. one. Of, so I just want to make sure... I'm understanding it correctly because, again, you've studied this a lot, and, and I've read some of your books. But there's a group of people who believe that they're supposed to be the offices, positions of apostle and prophet. And those same people who believe that just so happen to be the apostles. Is that what's going on here? Right. So the apostles and prophets would say that all all churches need to submit to their leadership. Pastors even need to submit and come under their leadership because without them, they won't have the revelation they need to set up God's kingdom on earth. And so they don't always say that so overtly, though. They don't they don't always say, like, you have to submit to us. Uh, there's a lot of euphemisms to kind of soften it. Uh, the, the apostles are often called fathers. The okay. prophets are called fathers. And they're you need to be you need to come into alignment is a, is a buzzword. And because if you're not in alignment under their authority, then you're outside of God's proper church order that he set up wow. and and if you're outside of that order you won't get the blessings mm. uh, that come and the protection that comes from being um under the covering another buzzword of an apostle or prophet wow well do we see the the old testament apostles claiming those types of things like if you're outside well, of me like you're not getting blessed well, yeah it sounds a lot like worship that's what's happening like, like they're saying that they should have because that's what's going to happen with this movement is people are going to start worshiping these apostles because they're the ones who supposedly have this enlightenment from God who can perform these miracles like they're trying it sounds to me like they're trying to take the, that place which that's definitely not biblical it's kind of cultish it is cultish yeah, yeah. And there's no evidence in the New Testament that there even was an office of prophet in the New Testament. Mm. Um, really not in the Old Testament either. Um, they guided kings, prophets guided kings, but they didn't govern. The kings governed. So the idea that there's this governing office of prophet in the New Testament, there's there just seems to be no evidence that even people with a gift of prophecy in the New Testament held governing roles in the church. Sure. And then the apostles, of course, tw the uh, the 12 and Paul, they were handpicked by Christ um, for these uh, unique temporary roles in uh, governing the church and writing scripture and establishing the first churches. Mm -hmm. And the requirement to be a, one of Christ's apostles, one of the 12, um, or to be Paul, was that they had to have had an appearance from the resurrected Christ and be, and also a specific commission by him. Mm -hmm. And no one today can claim that. And um, even Paul, even though he had an appearance from Christ at a later date and time than the 12, the 12 were able to vouch for Paul and say, yeah, he had a, he had a real, he had a legitimate appearance from Christ, yeah. but no one today can have the 12 vouch for them in the way Paul did. And so, and there's no indication in the new Testament that the apostles saw the apostles of Christ saw their role as ongoing. Now, there were apostles in the New Testament who were more like missionaries and church planners because mm -hmm. the word had a range of meaning. But the governing apostles, the office of apostle, they never gave instructions for how to appoint apostles or prophets. Um, you never see them doing so. What you see is them giving uh, instructions for how to appoint elders mm -hmm. and deacons. Those are the only two explicit offices you see them giving instructions for and, and showing you know, that they... So as they were coming, the apostles grew older, were approaching their death. Um, they were teaching the churches to, you know, appoint elders to govern mm -hmm. the churches. But there's just no indication that they intended for their role to be ongoing. Well, and can't you say, like, so obviously I love Justin Martyr, right? Because he's like the first apologist. He's a big deal. Mm -hmm. And in, in his writings, uh, he talks about how, you know, they meet together on the first day of the week and they did all this stuff. And one of the things he mentions that Christians did when they met together was they would read from the prophets and from the mm -hmm. memoirs of the apostles. So, mm -hmm. like, the apostles are dead by the time Justin Martyr writes this, most mm -hmm. likely. I think John was probably dead by that point, too. But um, mm -hmm. he, he's, he's claiming we are still under their teaching of what they taught right. in the New Testament, right? So e mm -hmm. even if their authority is still, still supposed to be here, wouldn't we say that that's, 
the word of God that they wrote and right. testified to. So I don't get this idea why it's even necessary to have new ones when we already have the revealed word, but I guess the NAR is claiming that they want to give more revealed word. Right. They would say that we need to continue to receive new revelations in each generation, new strategies, they will call it, to bring God's kingdom to earth. Yeah. Hmm. Well, and then, I mean, and then there's the Passion Translation, which we've talked about a bit, mm -hmm. too. And, like, uh, I'm just thinking, too, like, how it's crazy that um, the just the drastic differences that we've studied in that and then seeing mm -hmm. just uh, how all this false doctrine that's kind of spreading, that's kind of counter to the gospel uh, – it's it's just it's really concerning, honestly, just to see how big this movement is. Because I had no idea until you were talking about the numbers how big that this was. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and and the high profile leaders in this movement. So Bill Johnson is the apostle of Bethel Church in Reading, the most high profile leader in this movement today, worldwide influence. Um, he he endorses the trans Passion Translation. He preaches from it in the pulpit. And many other leaders in this movement as well. And so it's really become the go-to Bible that many people in this movement use uh, for their personal study. Hmm. Um, and it's spreading because I saw recently a new album by Michael W. Smith. And the back of the album showed he thanked the Passion Translation for allowing him to, wow. to cite the Passion Translation. You oh, know, man. so it's really... It's really, the cells are phenomenal for this translation. And it's really concerning because Brian Simmons, the apostle who who put together this translation, there's a lot of issues about him, as I'm sure you talked about. But yeah. but um, he will say that you can, you can use this translation as your primary Bible to study. It's not just supposed to be a paraphrase or something. It's like it's for serious study, he will say. So that's, that's crazy, really though, crazy. because uh, Bible translations are always done by committees of scholars. Mm -hmm. And now mm -hmm. we have one dude coming along saying, I'm going to do it all by myself. Like that should be a red flag to people <laughs> like this isn't good. There's no checks and balances. He can say whatever he yeah. wants. Um, mm -hmm. How are people not catching that? Right. It, well, it just it shows that there's a real lack of knowledge among Christians about how Bibles have been put together, how translations have been put together, how, how committees work on translation projects. I think there's just a real ignorance it shows among Christians about about these things. Mm -hmm. It's so sad yeah. and it's so damaging. Um, now, okay, so you, you said something earlier that I thought was interesting, that the apostles had to, one of the criteria of apostleship was seeing the resurrected Jesus. Mm -hmm. So the the 12 could verify Paul, but you're saying mm -hmm. today nobody's here to verify if people see the resurrected Jesus or not. Do any of these apostles claim to have seen the resurrected mm -hmm. Jesus? Yes, some have, not all. Um, T. Peter Wagner, who, who was the one who came up with the term New Apostolic Reformation, a leading apostle in the movement who died a few several years ago now, he said that some, many apostles, but not all, will claim to have seen the resurrected Christ. And mm -hmm. so the question is, why? Why not? You know, why Why don't they meet that criteria if, if that's what they were supposed to have done? Mm -hmm. That is crazy. So interesting. Like, it's so yeah. foreign to my mindset. <laughs> like that's going to run that, too. It's about just... truth. Um, yeah. So mm -hmm. who are some other, like, uh, notable pastors or apostles mm -hmm. who kind of hold to this ideology? Organizations, like, if it's yeah. so big, like, what should we be looking out for? Like, what are some of the, the red flag yeah. organizations yeah. out there that we should be like, okay, we're going to take a step back and reevaluate listening to this or reading this yes. or whatever? I've already hit on Bethel Church and Reading, Bethel mm -hmm. Music, of course. A lot of people don't know that Hillsong actually has a real NAR ideology undergirding it. Mm -hmm. um, and so that, of course, is a big one. Uh, Gateway Church in Texas mm -hmm. is a big one. Um, names uh, International House of Prayer in Kansas City, Missouri, Mike Bickle. Yeah. Uh, the 24-7 prayer room movement that's come out of there is a big one. A lot of names like Lou Engle, he's organized these prayer and fasting gatherings in large stadiums throughout the United States. Um, so, and then events, like for instance, there was this recent Christian gathering at the National Mall in Washington, D.C. you may have heard, of, heard mm -hmm. about. A lot of people don't realize there were two events, parallel events. One was the one Franklin Graham organized. Yeah. 
And there were actually some NAR leaders there, but there was a par- another event that was organ- had a lot of NAR leaders that were speaking at it, like Cheon and Cindy Jacobs. Hmm. And so the Christians who showed up at these this event, there was real confusion is what I heard because they didn't know like which event was which and there was a real oh. mingling. And, and, and I think that's, um, I think there's an intentional strategy among leaders in this movement because they're trying to mainstream their movement to, um, make it look like to actually share platforms with mainstream evangelicals, which is increasingly happening. Um, you know, people like Francis Chan are, are sharing platforms with these leaders, which is lending their credibility to Mm -hmm. them. Um, Bill Johnson recently spoke at the, the Q forum and with along a lot of mainstream leaders, I think Priscilla Schreier was there and um, Francis Chan and I think Timothy Keller, Tim Keller and a lot of other influential. So sharing the platforms with these leaders is starting to lend credibility to them. Yeah. They're really looking for these kind of prayer events, these big national gatherings. A lot of times NAR leaders are actually the people behind those events. Man. Well, it's good to be aware of that. So like, let's talk specifically, because I know this is what people are going to ask. So when I look at our analytics through Spotify, it shows me what listeners of ours also listen to. Yeah. And for a while, Taylor Swift was on there and I wasn't too happy about that, but we're going to hold back. That's funny. (laughs) But consistently on there has been Bethel music. So Mm -hmm. what are your thoughts on like specifically the music should we listen to it should we not are there certain songs that's like this doesn't teach anything bad like how, how do we navigate that whole scenario okay so this is the way i looked at, at it with bethel music there's a spectrum okay not all the songs fall in the same part of the spectrum but they're all dangerous in different ways so the first part of the spectrum would be songs that are explicitly over the top nar and i wouldn't actually even say that with Bethel Church so much, but I, I, I have, I did go to a conference once that was an NAR conference, New Apostolic Reformation conference, where they were literally singing about apostles and prophets. And it was Whoa. the weirdest thing. And I can I haven't been able to find the song since then. I haven't heard that happen since then, but, but that would be something that's very explicit, right? Most of the music, Bethel music falls into the second category, which would be, it's laced with jargon and terminology and buzzwords the people who are in the NAR movement know and recognize, but people who are outside the movement don't. Okay. And so, for hmm. instance, a lot of themes of miracles, doing greater works than Jesus did. They'll talk about greater works, bringing God's kingdom to earth, making verbal declarations so that our spoken words can create reality. These are all things that are kind of weaved into the music, but only people who are part of the movement uh, will spot them and catch them because they know the teachings. Mm-hmm. And so one example is there's a song called One Thirst from Bethel Music's 2010 album, Be Lifted High. And a, a lyric in there is anointness for the greater things. Well, that's a major teaching in this movement that that Jesus uh, told his disciples, his followers, that they would work greater miracles than even he worked. Mm. And so, um, but these kind of things are weaved into the music and you have to have the eyes to, to see it, you know, because you know, the teachings. And so that's dangerous because I think people are being primed to be more receptive to these teachings when they encounter them, because most people might forget a pastor sermon, you know, a a day or two after they go home, sadly, my husband's a pastor. And so I know that's a sad thing (laughs) to say, but it's true. But the music they might be singing in their head, as I think you are too. Right, Robbie? And yeah, <laughs> it's true. I, I, I say this all the time to people. It's <laughs> The theology and music is so important because yes. it's what sticks with people and it's what people go home remembering. Like I, I've been in church my whole life. Like I've forgotten uh, all except four sermons I've ever heard in my life pretty much. You know, there's like mm-hmm. four real inf- – and I love right. hearing it and we need to hear it and it's so important, mm-hmm. of course. But the songs stick with us and they replay in our minds all the time. Right. Yes. And so yes. those those lyrics are very powerful and persuasive, like you said, to, mm-hmm. pr- to priming people for NAR theology. Right. It's kind of – it's almost people have said it's a gateway drug. The music's a gateway drug into the movement, mm-hmm. which I think is well said. And then the third category of music is music that may seem to be free of any jargon. It seems like it's just a fine song. There really seems to be nothing wrong with it. But the thing I would say about those Bethel songs is that when a church plays those songs, they give an implicit pass to the church, that the church is either okay or even maybe that the church is a good church. That's what the people in the pews will get 
when they use their music mm-hmm. because it says on the credits, you know, this is Bethel music. They're supposed to include a credit. So, so I think, I think churches should not use Bethel music because this is one of the most dangerous movements out there today. And because so many people are being sucked into it for those reasons, I think it's wise for churches not to, you know, play into that. And there's other good music out there. It's not like we don't have a, we have Mm -hmm. a lack, like it's either Bethel or Gregorian chanting. Like that's not the case (laughs) for us, you know? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Right. Good point. (laughs) Yeah. That is so fascinating. So, okay. Those are some of the big uh, organizations to watch out. And now this isn't just an American thing though. This is worldwide. Right. It's global. According to the Center for the Study of Global Christianity at Gordon-Conwell, their stats will say this is this movement is part of the fastest growing segment of Christianity worldwide, especially in the global south, Africa, Asia, Latin America. But Doug, my co-author and I, Doug Guyvet, he's a professor at Biola. We're contacted all the time, literally from nations all around the world, almost every continent, people telling us, Bethel's teachings are coming in there. Um, wow. NAR teachings are coming in there and asking for help and sharing their stories of the way they've been damaged or their church has been damaged. So it really is a global movement. That is mm. so crazy. Yeah. So so with that, that's th- this is obviously spreading so fast. I mean, I actually, when I went to school and uh, when I went to college, like I had some classmates who were talking about it in between classes, uh, um, these teachings and these ideas. But particularly, I heard someone talking about the passion translation and bringing up a conversation and then, but talking positively about it and saying mm-hmm. that it should be the only book that we study and like when you're now the thing is is you're going to be hearing i feel like we're going to be hearing this come up more and more so the question is how do we represent the biblical truth in Mm -hmm. these in conversation with people who bring up these kind of ideas because the thing is is we have to find a way to still uh loving and graciously put Mm -hmm. shut down these ideas so that way they don't continue to spread how how would you suggest we go about that Honestly, I think a lot of it is a information and education campaign. So many people have never heard of the New Apostolic Reformation, even though they've likely encountered encountered it and just don't know. So they need to be shown what it is, uh, what the major teachings and practices are to look for things um, like sozo, inner healing and prayer sessions, um, practices like the 24-7 prayer rooms. 24-7 prayer can is not necessarily a bad thing, but many of the prayer rooms are, are undergirded with an NAR ideology and they're associated with IHOP KC in Kansas City International House of Prayer um, to, to be able to spot these things and, and to be educated about the movement um, and so um, you know they could read our books they can go online read blogs my blog so many other blogs out there I've been encouraged to see more and more ministries and organizations are becoming aware of the NER and they've been warning people about it and it really will take a movement to stop a movement, um, to challenge a movement. And so really more and more people need to come together and, and pastors need to influence their, their, you know, um, use their influence to teach their churchgoers about this movement, to warn them about it. Um, we actually have a position paper, Doug and I have developed that some churches have adopted, uh, at, to say this is our position on the NAR and this is why we won't allow these teachings to come in. I think a lot of churches have statements of faith that are so vague sometimes, um, or missions organizations and things. We've actually been contacted by missions organizations that will say we're having a problem with these NAR people coming in, bringing their teachings. It's really destructive, but we can't do anything about it because they can sign our statement of faith. And so, and so that's a problem when the statements of faith are so vague in in organizations Um, so really churches need to start developing position papers, I would say, things like that to say where they stand on this movement. And churchgoers can go to their pastors and, and ask their pastors, you know, where do you stand on this movement? Um, why are we using Bethel music? Do you think that's really a good idea? And a lot of times pastors don't actually know about this movement. And so um, they need to learn about it, too. And their churchgoers can really help them with that. Yeah, that's really helpful. I actually, the first time I encountered, again, there's, there's you know, uh, charismatic Pentecostalism, and that's been around a while. But the first time I heard about this uh, NAR-type ministries, it was at my former church when I was a youth pastor, and there was this uh, family, 
And the mom and the dad came into my office once and they were saying, oh man, you wouldn't believe it. We were at our house and we were praying in the spirit. And then <laughs> all of these gold coins started dropping from the sky, from heaven. And, and then the dad <laughs> says, so I took all of my kids and I baptized them in our bathtub. And I thought, what does any of that have to do with anything? Like, I don't even know what's right. going on here. And I wasn't at, mm -hmm. like, an assemblies church. Like, I was at a, a kind of Baptistic, non-denom yeah. church. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I said, right. where, where are you getting these ideas from, man? And he said, well, there's this church in Redding, California, and mm -hmm. we've been listening to a lot of what they teach. And that was when, you know, this is probably 2006, 2007. That's when I was introduced mm -hmm. to these kind of heretical ideas. But what, what are, let's, let's talk about what are some of the practices? What is with this school right. of healing? What are they trying to right. do yeah. uh, in, in training right. people? And, and what are some of the odd kind of cultish, right. occultish, pagan you know, new age stuff right. that they're doing. Mm, yeah, that's a good question. So, so Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry in Reading, um, a lot of young people go there to learn to be miracle workers. It's actually a three-year full-time program. How much does it um, cost? Um, I should have a number. It's it's in the thousands. Of course, you know, of course it is, right? <laughs> and uh, from what I understand, they've currently moved their classes all online because there's been an outbreak of coronavirus at the school oh, which okay. is ironic because oh you know, yeah one thing Bring healing, one right? of their major practices is that <laughs> leavers have the power through their their words to create reality mm. it's called making declarations and so um they actually teach that like coronavirus christians should be able to defeat coronavirus just with their spoken words that christians Christians need to make declarations against it, and that will defeat it. Wow. The problem is Bethel Church in Reading teaches people to make declarations, but their declarations haven't haven't been working. Wow. Uh, I, I guess not enough people have been doing it then. <laughs> there was a major fire in uh, summer of 2018 oh. in Reading called the Car C A R R fire. Lots of homes lost, lives lost. Their declarations didn't stop it. Wow. Um, all of this, one of uh, in December, one of their worship leaders, little girls, suddenly died. She was like, I think, two years old. Oh. Suddenly stopped breathing unexpectedly in her sleep. Um, they actually mobilized their followers worldwide through social media to make declarations to raise Allah from the dead, and and that was picked up by national media. They tried for like five or six days. And they finally gave up. Um, but their declarations have not mm. been effective. So, but they've redefined prayer. Prayer is not, in their view, there's different, there's the type of prayer where you humbly ask God to do something and he can say yes or no. But there's a more powerful form of prayer, which is commanding that something will happen. Using the authority, they would say that God has given us to command someone to be healed to command someone to be raised from the dead and that's a more powerful form of prayer so that's a major practice in this movement are they saying that they're commanding god or are they commanding the thing they would say that they're commanding the situation or the circumstance they would say that okay. as believers we have power to create just like god created in genesis and through our spoken words and so, and what they will say, what Bill Johnson will teach is that when we, when we make a declaration, the angels actually will carry it out. So they're the ones that are, are kind of obeying the commands, mm. uh, because they, they, God sends them, God sends them to respond to our declarations and to enact them. Okay. So what, how, how do they do damage control and PR when mm -hmm. their declarations don't yeah. work or their prophecies are wrong? So prime example, when Olive wasn't raised... Uh, Bill Johnson, Bethel Church, released a statement to the media, and they basically just said, first of all, they made it sound like really they were just supporting the parents. It was kind of the parents' idea to do this, and they want. The thing is, they've been teaching for years and years in their books and their yeah. their teaching materials that if somebody dies, don't just accept that. You know, you should try to raise them from the dead. This is this is a long-standing teaching. So they kind of tried to put it off on the parents, I would say, and say they were just supporting them. And then also they tried to make it sound like they were just having kind of old-fashioned prayer meetings to pray for her resurrection. They didn't – they were equivocating on the word prayer, and they do this a lot in this movement. They knew when people heard that they were praying for Olive to be raised that they would think like prayer like asking God to raise her from the dead. But they were actually commanding 
that she be raised from the dead. And that's a totally different thing. But but they didn't mention that in their statements to the media. They tried to, to downplay that. And they knew that a lot of people won't know that they're equivocating on their terminology. Hmm, okay. Wow. Well, it just seems like after so many of these, uh, you know, spoken word uh, prayers don't happen and so many of these prophecies don't happen, people would become disillusioned with it. Why are people remaining in it? Like how... I just don't know how you would trick people to stay after they see failure after failure after failure. Why do you think people remain in it? And, you know, some people do leave um, and they will say, you know, fine, uh, I just I just started realizing what they said didn't line up with reality. Um, but but there are people um, that that will double down. You know, they've gone this far. They've gone this deep into it and they just really have to suspend their disbelief and double down. And, um, I think that happens a lot in, um, groups, even cults. I'm not saying that this is a cult. I don't refer to it as a cult. I would, but, um, but groups like Scientology or different cults, you know, the same thing happens. People have to choose when something doesn't line up with reality, when the healing doesn't happen or whatever was promised, they have to decide at that moment, okay, am I going to ditch this? Or am I going to do- just double down in my in the irrationality and basically just go with it? Mm. And a lot of times they have family and friends who are deeply into these teachings too. Oh, yeah. And so that becomes a problem because there's been real division. Families that won't even talk to each other, children, parents. Uh, and, and so they don't want to lose their church or their family. You see, and that is that right there to me is always a sign of unhealth and untruth because mm-hmm. that does happen in cults. Mormonism's like that. Islam obviously is like that. But um, I'm pretty sure that goes against scripture, right? I mean, even Paul even instructs if you're if you're married to an unbelieving woman or if you're married to mm-hmm. an unbelieving man, you try to live at peace with them and you try to work it out. Like that's the mm-hmm. biblical motif. Love your neighbors, love your right. enemies, pray for those who persecute you. I don't understand how you could think, hey, this is the right movement because I have to have a horrible relationship with my family and there has to be fractioning there. Yeah, that's terrible. Yeah, no, it, it should be it should be an alarm. And I, if I, I don't even know how many people have told us their child went off to Bethel School Supernatural Ministry and now won't even talk to them, you know. Um, so it's, um, or, or different NAR organizations like, inter, like IHOP, KC, International House of Prayer. You know, we've heard these stories time and time again. So that should... That should put up a, you know, kind of like a flag or alarm bells or something that that this isn't right. It shouldn't create such division between believers. Yeah. Okay. So going back to, you said something earlier about the five D's. Mm, uh, And the last one you said, um, there's actually, you think, ways that they kind of open up uh, pathways or doorways to to Mm -hmm. demonology or or, um, occultic stuff like because praying isn't one of those things praying's fine like we should pray what are practices that they're incorporating that have like a new age flavor to them right so a lot of that would have to do with the way they try to activate say like the gift of prophecy in someone so they would say that everybody can learn to prophesy can learn to give messages from god not everybody can have the office of prophet but everybody can learn to prophesy And so what they'll do is um, they'll do what they call activation exercises. And a lot of times that will be things like maybe, um, well, let me read an example. This is from a a Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry training manual uh, for other schools that are patterned after theirs. It says telephone prophecy. Gather a group of friends and pick one person to prophesy over. Have one person write down a prophetic word for the person without showing it to the rest of the group. Ask a different person in the group to read the prophetic word and dance it over them. Next, have another person write down an interpretation of the dance without showing the rest of the group. Ask a different person to draw the person's written interpretation of the dance. So it's kind of like telestrations or something, right? Mm -hmm. Finally, have someone in the group write down an interpretation of the drawing. Review each phase of the activation and have each person share their part. Take time as a group to reflect and share how the Holy Spirit built upon the original word. And so they, they do these kind of like parlor games um, where uh, another one they taught is prophetic Uno, like the card game Uno. Yeah. But they would say, well, if you draw this card, then you're supposed to prophesy to the person on your left about their finances. And if you draw this card, you prophesy to the person on your right about the relationships. And so these are all ways they try to teach people to 
to prophesy. And they'll say that you're supposed to go with the first thing that pops into your head. You're not supposed to filter it. Uh, Just take the first thing that pops into your head as, as a word from God for that person. And so another thing though, is they would, they would send their students to psychic fairs and where they, they pose as psychics basically they set up tents that say we offer dream interpretations and spirit readings. And the people that come into the tent, they will give spirit readings to, which is basically uh, prophetic words that they would say. And and so some of Bethel's students were actually using something called destiny, destiny cards that came to light, which these are basically like Christian versions of tarot cards. Huh. And wow. um, they, they would, you know, these cards would basically would tell people uh, about you know, their present, their past, their future, and messages from God. They were being used like tarot. And so that caused a huge controversy when that came to light. Um, but these are different ways that these practices mirror more like like the occult, because the Bible forbids divination. Mm-hmm. In Deuteronomy 18, divination is forbidden. And divination is when you try to get messages from the spirit world, basically, and you, you, you try to use rituals or kind of uh, standardized techniques mm-hmm. and in order, you know, interpreting omens, these omens, these kind of things, you know. And so that's basically what they're doing with the destiny cards and and uh, these different pro- prophetic activation exercises is, um, you know, basically trying to get prophecies on demand to people. Uh, through these kind of rituals and standardized processes they're putting together. Well, and that's what's so – so the scary part about all of that is, like you said, it's a doorway to to the demonic because um, you can access weird, creepy stuff through that. Like even Saul, right, when he went to the witch of Endor and Samuel, uh, she pulled up the spirit. The Bible says it was the spirit of Samuel. And then he was mm-hmm. mad at Saul and said, what are you doing? Like you shouldn't do this type of thing. There, there are ways to um, do evil things like that, and it gives opportunities to demons mm. to enter right. or to manipulate you to make you think, yeah, I'm actually controlling things or I can find this out. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. the case is actually they're, they're controlling you. Well, yeah. So that's, that's scary. The other thing I was going to say to that too is it's it, the, the interesting thing I'm finding about everything you just said is that w- with the way that they're doing these schools is it sounds like anyone who has the money to go to school here can mm-hmm. receive prophecy. So it's like mm-hmm. if, if anyone can be a prophet, why do we need prophets? Like seriously, like, like I'm just being honest. Like, why do we need prophets if anyone can have revelation right. from that's God? That's a good. That's a really good point. Because the point is, it's like like the purpose of prophets is to translate God's word to us, right? To to receive it and then give it to the world. That's yeah. what the purpose of prophecy was. And now, if everyone has that. What's the purpose? Like, yeah, if, if everybody's well, first place, defeated. nobody's first yeah, place. That's yeah, that's just God sure. talking to us directly. I mean, imagine that. Like, that's. <laughs> <laughs> well, what they would say is that people. They would say that people who have the office of prophet, like Chris Valentin at Bethel Church, okay. he's he's like second in command there. Uh, they would say that he that they are more accurate, and that so they would say if you have the gift of prophecy, you can make mistakes, and don't worry about it if you do make mistakes. The people, you know, the people that are being trained, like at their school um, can. But if you have the office of prophet, they're supposed to make less mistakes and therefore their words are to be actually obeyed. And so their level of authority is much, much greater. How do they how do they reconcile Deuteronomy 18 about the the test of a prophet? And if he says Mm -hmm. something that's from God and it doesn't happen, Mm -hmm. you shouldn't be afraid of him. You shouldn't listen to him and you should kill him. How do they say that doesn't apply to us today? Well, so, so Wayne Grudem, you know, Wayne Grudem. Yeah. He was one of my professors at school. Okay. So he's really popularized this view that, uh, people with the new Testament gift of prophecy can have the genuine gift, but still make mistakes. And, and so there's a book he wrote called the gift of prophecy. Mm -hmm. I, I have it on my shelf back there. And, um, I can't remember the full title, but something like the gift of prophecy. And, and in it, he argues that. So what the NAR people will do is they'll kind of take that and run. They'll, they'll now Wayne Grudem did. Um, uh, yeah. I, <laughs> okay. I, I won't go into all that, but, <laughs> but I will say that they've taken that view and they've run with it. So, um, so 
they kind of hide behind that. So yeah, so Wayne's bad theology has legs and people will take it and they'll do things with it that uh, probably we shouldn't do. That is that is crazy wow. to me to say, yeah, prophets make mistakes. Again, begging the question, what do we need them for then? Well, <laughs> yeah. And I will I will point out from what I understand about uh, Dr. Grudem, he did he did say that um, he did distinguish between an office of prophet and the gift of prophecy. And so, but okay. the problem is in this movement, the leaders will say even people with the office of prophet can make mistakes. Mm. Uh, sometimes they will even allow that. They just just shouldn't make really as many. Grudem, he's not a part of this movement, is he? Or is it? Because I, I wasn't I, sure that he was. Yeah. No. No, I don't believe. Okay. Okay. No, he's 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 a charismatic yeah. reformed though. Okay. He's, he's, gotcha. He leans on that side of things. Like a John Piper would be similar. Right. Right. They, okay. Speaking in tongues and they they lean charismatic reformed. So. Right. Wow. Yep. Well, you that, learn yeah. something new every yeah, day. Yeah, look at that. Yeah, Because yeah. <laughs> I was wow. just hearing that, and I'm like, okay, because it sounds like he's kind of encouraging this whole idea and kind of feeding into it. So that's why I was like, ah, is, I didn't know about that, so. Yeah. Well, Holly, wow. this is just fascinating. Mm. Before we cut yeah. you off, any other, like, practices that they yeah. do that we should be a little <laughs> aware of? <laughs> For sure. Well, there's, there's so many. It's hard to um, – so they have Sozo, S-O-Z-O. It's their inner healing ministry. So these are counseling – that go problems in their lives it kind of glitched that okay if they have any kind yeah. of problems in their lives um like they just held held back in their lives any struggles in their lives they'll go for these inner healing sessions and the people will at bethel will lead them through like a, a conversation with god basically mm. and where they're speaking to god and god is directly revealing to them the source of their problems and and so it's it's like kind of like prophecy through this guided session where they find out they talk to Jesus, the father and the Holy spirit and ask questions to them to find out what's holding them back in their relationship with God or their, their family problems or whatever problems they're having in their life. Well, and I thought Jesus was the intercessor. Um, popular. <laughs> yeah. Isn't Jesus so the intercessor? The though? Jesus, like, why is it that they're going through another human being to talk to God? Isn't Jesus who we're supposed right. to go to to talk to God? Mm -hmm. Like, that's just so anti-scriptural. Yeah. Right, and that, and so Sozo is huge, though. Again, it's 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 been popularized by Bethel Church, but churches throughout the nation and around the world are, have started their own Sozo mm. ministries and in conjunction with Bethel. So that's huge. Uh, there's something called treasure hunting evangelism. I don't know if you've heard of, but basically what that Bethel again popularized that, but it's basically where you get a group of like four or five people. You ask God for clues about people you will encounter. Like when you go to a public place, like a mall or a park or, you know, something like that, a grocery store, you write down the clues on your treasure map. And so maybe you feel like the Holy Spirit told you, you will run into somebody who has red hair and maybe they'll be walking on crutches and maybe they'll be wearing like a Raiders shirt or something and they'll have a tattoo. And so you write these clues down and then you go to this public place and you look for someone who matches those clues. And if you find someone who you think matches those clues, then you show them their map, your map. And then you tell them, you know, we believe God led us to you and we have this prophetic word for you or God wants us to heal you, hmm. you know, something like that. So it's a form of evangelism that they've popularized that has also become very popular. As if you shouldn't go evangelize people who aren't on your map, right? Because God would not like that. The, see, and I used to do – so I used to be a magician and work for like magic companies here in the Valley when mm -hmm. I was in college. And that's like old parlor tricks. Like that mm -hmm. means nothing. Like you can you can be perceptive of people to persuade them for something or mm -hmm. you can find mm -hmm. somebody in a crowd. You know, it's like these healers who will say, I perceive that somebody here hasn't been feeling good lately. It's like, well, yeah, because we're human beings like and there's a bunch of us those types of things are so silly to me uh i've just seen them used for entertainment value but now to actually say oh yeah this is spiritual i don't know mm -hmm. that, that's just mm -hmm. that's crazy that people believe that yeah yeah so i mean there there are tons of tons of practices but a lot of them are related to this idea of activating people into the gift of prophecy you're activating people in to healing people, mm. uh, that they can heal people of sickness 
or disease. And so a lot of them are, are kind of wrapped around those teachings. There's also another practice called strategic level spiritual warfare. And I mentioned that a little earlier, but that's the idea that there's these high ranking, high ranking demons that are ruling over certain cities or nations, which there's some evidence in scripture for actually, but they would say that those demons need to be neutralized before the gospel can go forth with any effectiveness in a region. And so they will do things, uh, uh, like they'll spiritual do spiritual mapping, which is kind of they'll um, kind of create a spiritual map of a region to find out like what they to identify what demonic spirit they think is over that region. Hmm. And so they might say, you know what, this this area has a big history of um, uh, they had a ma- they massacred Native Americans here, or maybe there's a lot of porn shops in this town or whatever. And then then they'll use that to determine maybe what the ter- which territorial spirit is ruling over that region. And then they'll gather their people and engage in acts of strategic level spiritual warfare to cast out that demon or to neutralize it. And that could involve going to a city hall building and maybe going around the perimeter of the building and pouring anointing oil and and then directly confronting the spirit with your verbal declarations, commanding it to leave the city or the region. It could be flying an airplane. In one case, people flew an airplane over a region and poured anointing oil over the region or... Um, but you have to confront the territorial spirits, command them to leave, and only then can the gospel go forth. And so that's another major part of the teaching. That is interesting. Do, the, do those people who are using the anointing oil, are they selling Young Living or is it doTERRA? Like how are they getting this oil? <laughs> and so, you know, I actually believe the strategic level of spiritual warfare. Have you heard of the um, – uh, is it Sean, uh, uh, the guy that's doing from Bethel Church that's been going around and doing the worship? Yep, he's gatherings. been going around outside outdoor worship. I've heard about yeah. him. Yeah. Uh, what's his name? Sean. Uh, I'm blanking right now. So they'll come to me later. Yeah. But he, um, or I, I can look it up quickly. But he, I, I suspect that that's what's behind these gatherings is strategic level spiritual warfare. Because you go to a region, you lead people in these corporate acts of worship. And the idea is then that you can neutralize the territorial spirits in, in that region. And he's from Bethel Redding. And so he's he's steeped into this teaching and this worldview. So yeah, I'm, I'm even, I got positive a, that underlies it. I've got emails from people from our church saying, look at this. This is a really cool thing happening. Yeah. God's doing something in America. And then I saw who mm-hmm. it was and I'm like, yeah, I don't think this is good at all. <laughs> like, I don't think we want to yeah. be a part of that. Yeah. Yeah, I was trying to find his name quickly, but of course I would blink on it right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. Awesome. Yep. Yeah, we, yeah, I know what you're talking about. It's happened recently during COVID yeah. especially, and so they're doing outdoor big gatherings. Mm-hmm. And so that in California right. especially, which is kind of shocking, they were able to get away mm-hmm. with it. But yeah. yeah. Well, Holly, this has been fascinating. And I know, again, there's so much more to this and so many intricate details. And so for our listeners, you need to go get the books that she has co-authored with Doug Guyvet. They are just eye-opening. They're extremely helpful. And um, you'll be well-versed in how to talk and dialogue with people on this. But beware, like this is out there and we can't let false prophecies creep into the church at large. Like we've got to be on guard and we can't get blown around by every wind of doctrine we have to know what we believe we have to be grounded in it and uh, it has to be based in scripture not in a group's misinterpretation of Ephesians like that that's terrible so all of the all of the uh, stuff for Holly will be in the show notes her website her books but Holly is there anything else you would like people to visit if they want to contact you or get to know a little more about this and I'm sorry I know you're trying to wrap up I forgot one key point that I always try to hit so in our books, Doug Guyvin and I are not coming against Pentecostals, Charismatics. This is not classic Pentecostal or historic Charismatic teaching that we're coming against. Mm. Uh, this, these teachings go way beyond. Uh, when we talk about apostles and prophets, we're not saying that there are not that there are no miraculous gifts today. That that you no, know, we're not talking about speaking in tongues or prophesying or even healing any of these miraculous gifts. We're coming against the idea that there are these governing offices that are authoritative. They're bringing new revelation. And and that's what sets the NAR apart, far apart from classic and historic Pentecostal charismatic teaching. So we want to be very clear about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and also that the new apostolic reformation is not a single entity. It's not a denomination. It's, a, it's churches that have embraced the idea that there are 
governing apostles and prophets, and they often do network together, but it's not a single like organization. You can't go find a membership, one single membership list, anything mm-hmm. like that. Um, yes, I have a blog, spiritoferror.org, and I'm working on a new website that um, is hollypivot.com. I'm hoping to transfer that over soon, but right now it's spiritoferror.org is uh, my, and I have tons of articles on there. So you can go and search and find almost any topic you're looking for. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a treasure trove of help to me over the <laughs> last few years of just people bringing this up and what about this music? What about this translation of the Bible? And I say, here's where you go. Here's the one-stop yeah. shop because <laughs> right, Holly yeah. is on it. And so I am so thankful uh, for your work in that and all of the, I mean, the hours and hours and hours you put into writing and researching. It's been a huge blessing to me and in my ministry mm-hmm. and I know that it's been a huge blessing to so many other people so thank you so much for what you do it's just oh, it's really thanks for saying that. yeah it's very important mm-hmm. to what we're doing so and again mm-hmm. uh, if you want to check out what Holly is doing go to her website spiritofair.org look out for her new website coming check out and click the links to these books get them read them be prepared to give defense for what you believe and for good doctrine because scripture is good for rebuke, reproof, encouragement, and doctrine. We have to know why we believe what we believe and it needs to be based on God's word. So mm-hmm. Holly, thanks again so much for being with us today. Thank you. Yep. And thank thanks you both of you. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, and thank yeah. you our listeners for being here on Christ Culture and Coffee. Again, if you could rate and review us, that always helps us get more notoriety so we can reach more people with the show. Yes, please <laughs> do. If you're watching on YouTube, subscribe, all of those things. Uh, but we thank you so much for being with us today and we'll catch you guys next week. Thanks for listening to Christ Culture and Coffee. If you liked this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe to help us reach more people.